Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisby. Well, we had huge corrections in stock markets worldwide yesterday. That was yesterday, Monday the 21st. I'm talking now on Tuesday the 22nd of January to Michael Hampton, who is in Hong Kong. Hiya, Mike. Hi, Dominic. Big action. What's going to happen next, do you think? Oh, this is an interesting time. I mean, we've just seen a huge fall, uh, one of the largest falls in years, I think, on the Hong Kong stock market, which was down over 2,000 points. Um, and we've seen big falls of uh, four, almost 5% in Japan and Singapore and so forth. Um, so we're sitting here um, looking at, really looking at pretty much a market that looks like a crash. Um, I'm strangely optimistic, which uh, perhaps is a reason for worry, <laughs> because often the market will, uh, before it's finished its fall, will remove all uh, optimism from everyone, myself included. So, but I'm sitting here thinking that, you know, we might get some news in the next two or three hours from the Federal Reserve. Um, there are talks and rumors right now in Bloomberg that the Fed will come out with a 75 basis point rate cut. And I'm pretty sure if we saw that, the markets would turn around and go back up again. Um, I'm not saying they'll go back up to the highs, but um, I think the panic would be uh, halted for a while and we'd get a, get a nice rally. So if we see a rate cut here today, you know, 50 or 75 basis points, um, the panic may be over for a while. Do you think they'll do that, though? Because, I mean, firstly, they don't want to be seen to be pandering. And uh, secondly, which they would be doing if they did that. And secondly, I mean, if they do cut rates by half or three quarters of a point now, it just leaves them nowhere to go in future. Well, that's a really good point. And I, I think that the Fed... And, you know, Bernanke in particular um, is, is in a box here. And uh, the box is that the market um, is really focused overly much on rate cuts. And, you know, the, the market is effectively discounting Fed policy, is not dictating Fed policy right now. And that's awfully dangerous um, because, um, you know, the market's a hungry beast and you can't, you don't have an unlimited amount of red meat to feed it, to, to feed to it. Um, the real problem here is the dollar. <laughs> it's like a zombie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, and I'm uh, thinking of, you know, Will, uh, what's the name of that film? I Am Legend. Oh, yeah, Will Smith, yeah. Will Smith with some very fierce zombies indeed. Well, <laughs> it seems the dollar, <laughs> the dollar bears are, are pretty much like zombies. They want their regular taste of red meat. And you know what? What uh, I've been posting a little bit on GEI is the fact that we saw Bush, President Bush, over in uh, the Middle East um, about a week ago, talking to the Saudis and other allies over there. And the newspapers were reporting it was really talking about uh, convincing them to give us more oil, and he didn't make much progress on that. But um, perhaps there was another agenda which you know wasn't really re reported in the press, which was Bush listening to. Um, our allies over there talk about how weak the dollar is. So I think, you know, the, the administration is having problems um, cutting rates here because they know that if they cut rates 50 or 75 basis points, there's going to be a, you know, continuing drop in the dollar. 
And, um, you know, that's going to create perhaps even bigger problems in the immediate future. It's so. almost like they've got to choose between their allies and their people at home, who, 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 which is more important to keep happy. Well, yeah, yeah, and I mean, this is the ongoing dilemma the Fed is in and the administration is in, is, um, you know, if things get bad enough, well, of course, you have to worry about, you know, domestic policy and the politics of, uh, of uh, you know, helping people at home. Um, and you can let the dollar fall because the, the pain of the dollar is felt by those who hold dollars, um, not those who necessarily earn them and spend them in America. Um, so it is a trade-off. I, I think we know... It's likely that the trade-off will go in favor of the, the home side. And, you know, the interesting thing is that the real pain in the dollar, in the collapsing dollar, won't be felt at home until some time from now, and this might not even be this year, but it won't be felt until interest rates start rising because foreigners are fleeing the dollar, mm -hmm. okay? And, you know, I saw, it was really interesting, I saw interest rates uh, today uh, down to, I'm talking about the 10-year mm -hmm. bond, down your note down to 3.64 percent is the figure. It's very low. I mean, we really haven't seen rates that low since Greenspan was cutting rates like mad after 9/11. And um, you know, that's because those rates are low and the bond market is not panicking. I think there is room here for a rate cut. Um, and you know, the, the trick is, you know, how do you sell? this to your allies and how do you sell this to the markets and uh, Mr. Paulson who's you know Bernanke says is responsible for the dollar I mean he I think what's going to happen Paulson has a speech uh, in a matter of two or three hours from now I think it is and we're going to hear some words that are going to tell us um, you know whether they're going to be cutting rates immediately perhaps we'll see Paulson say uh, positive things about the dollar to try and assuage our allies while Bernanke's waiting in the wings to uh, cut interest rates by 50 or 75 basis mm -hmm. points. So it's a very interesting time. Uh, frankly, I'm not doing too much. Um, I did do some buying yesterday of, uh, of juniors, believe it or not, because uh, I just think that they're just too cheap. And I'll be doing some more of that today. Um, and I'm really sort of betting that uh, whatever happens, we're going to see gold prices go back up. Um, I think uh, you've seen my comment uh, on the boards talking about a kiss it goodbye move yeah. in gold down to 850 and then a rally after 850. Well, we've seen that 850 mm -hmm. this morning. Um, it's it's gone far enough to to give us that rally. It may go down. I think ideally, I'd like to see it test uh, 845 um, intraday. Yeah. Um, you know, before finishing that kiss it goodbye. But we may have had enough already. So if gold is headed back up and the dollar down, that's going to be good for gold. Obviously, that is gold, and that will be good for gold shares. Um, and uh, one hopes also good for the. What juniors. is going to ignite the junior sector? I mean, I'm. I'm it, it, is it going to be thousand dollar gold? Is it going to be some major discovery somewhere? Well, what's going to spark it off? Well, there's a very interesting chart um, which is posted on the website, and uh, maybe we should put a link on this broadcast, um, which is worth looking at. And it really, what it does is it shows uh, sort of on the top of the, the the three lines is is the gold price, and obviously that's been dragging up, um, um, you know, the majors, and, and so the majors are rising uh, with with the gold price because they actually produce gold and they have gold. 
Uh, the juniors, a lot of them don't produce very much gold. They have uh, made discoveries, and they're in the process of ramping up their production. So they don't quite behave the right way, and they might need to raise some more capital. So they're lagging behind a bit. And right on the bottom is, is the SPX, is the uh, general indice. And, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit hard for the gold uh, juniors to move up with the majors um, while the stock market, you know, the bottom is falling out mm. of the stock market. Um, so we need to see some stability in, 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 the, in the stock market. Now, if we don't see that, uh, we might see the juniors come up anyway. And what that's going to take is it's going to take some takeover bids. It's going to require some takeover bids from the majors. Mm. Because a lot of the majors must be sitting there and looking at their stock prices going up and gold prices going up and thinking, hmm, this junior company, A, B, or C, is, is pretty cheap right here. Yeah. So if we start seeing the majors make bids for some of these middle-tier companies um, or companies with deposits that haven't been put in production yet, um, that's going to help the juniors. And the exploration companies could be helped by a discovery, big discovery. And the S&P, how are you trading it? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've got some tiny, tiny call positions that I put on the other day, um, you know, as the, as the option expiry was happening. Um, you know, I, I kind of thought we'd see a low around 1,300 somewhere. So uh, a low 1,300s, I put on some call positions. Um, those obviously haven't gone very well the last couple of days, but it was a very minor position. Um, I would like to jump in and buy calls here, but they're going to be way too expensive. So hey, um, they're going to be expensive. I should I should rephrase that. Um, the implied volatilities are going to be very expensive. I see. So you know, if if I buy a call option on a drug stock or uh, you know even a tech stock. Um, I'm going to be paying, you know, massive uh, implied volatility. I don't know where VIX is going to go today, but uh, I think it's uh, it's it's going to shoot up towards uh, 30 or higher. And if it does go really high, VIX, then that's another sign we might get some kind of at least inter in intermediate bottom here today, mm -hmm. uh, shortly after the opening. And what if we don't get an interest rate cut? What's going to happen? Well. Um, well, in some ways, I think you know if 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 you if you believe in the Austrian school, uh, you know of, of of economics, maybe that would be the smartest thing is to, you know face the pain. And there's quite a lot of pain that we'd feel. Um, keep rates high, um, let house prices drop twenty percent or whatever. Um, put the economy into a serious recession now. Um, yeah, that would be a tremendously unpopular move in an election year. So I give it a probability pretty close to zero. Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's it would almost ensure that the Republican candidate would not be elected. <laughs> but I, so you you you're almost sure that some kind of interest rate cut is going to happen today? Oh, sorry, I I I think I shouldn't say today. No, I think I was speaking more of of in this particular moment, which would extend over the week, the next week or so. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, if we don't get the rate cut today, uh, you know, I guess we'll see, you know, 500 or 1,000 points come off the market, and then we'll get some kind of a bounce. Um, you know, and that, that big drop would probably represent some kind of a buying opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so instead of buying gold juniors, which I think are in a way are a safer bet here, I might buy some other stocks if we see that kind of a move. Yeah. And I wouldn't buy the stocks. I'd only buy the call options. It's, 
it's too too uh, too risky to be buying stocks here unless uh, unless you've you know got a really long term plan. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, Mike, uh, good stuff. Um, give out the website address one more time. Sure. Uh, GlobalEdgeInvestors.com and um, to mention to people if, if they like this sort of running commentary on the markets please visit the comments section um, and I think that's in, in the money making money section of Global Edge mm-hmm. and newcomers are welcome there alright well good stuff and uh, uh, fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> my fingers are both cro- on both hands crossed on both hands alrighty <laughs> Okay, take care, Mike. Bye, Dominic. Bye-bye. Commodity Watch Radio at Mindsight.com Well, it's my pleasure now to be talking to John Rubino. Now, John wrote in 2003... How to Profit from the Coming Real Estate Bust. Then in 2004 with Gold Money's James Turk, uh, The Coming Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It. The basic theme of that was buy gold. We're talking on Monday, January the 21st, 2008, when stock markets are in meltdown just about everywhere. Even the futures are down in the United States where the markets aren't even open. Uh, John's website is called dollarcollapse.com, your ringside seat for the global financial collapse. John, uh, you seem to call everything just about right. I'm desperate to know what you're writing next. But b- before we talk about that, let's let's talk about today's action in the markets. Um, what's going on? What does it mean? Is, is this the beginning of the end? Well, um, Dominic, yeah, it, it could be. But then it's, it's felt like that a few times in the past, as you know. And um, basically what's happening now is that the, uh, the amount of debt that we've taken on over the last 20 years has become unmanageable. And so we're seeing financial companies uh, around the world get into trouble because they can't pay their bills and, and they're not being paid back by the people they've lent money to. And they're, they're basically going broke. And this is, this is causing a, you know, the potential for a, a cascade failure of the whole global financial system. And the stock markets are starting to reflect this around the world. We're seeing, like you said, today we're seeing massive drops in uh, most of the, the major world stock markets, except the U.S. where we're closed, which is really frustrating for me. I'm sitting here watching the whole rest of the world tank, and, and um, there's nothing to be done with, uh, with U.S. stocks. But uh, tomorrow morning we'll, uh, we'll wake up in the morning and find out if the, um, the U.S. markets are reacting in the same way. Or if the the U.S. government is going to do something like uh, a surprise interest rate cut, which might send the market up. So there, there's no way to know in the short run what's going to happen. But clearly the, um, the the bias in the global financial markets now is towards caution. People are worried and, and they're, they're reacting by lending less money, being willing to borrow less money, and selling the, uh, the dicier financial stocks. And I, I think over time we'll see that continue. I mean, the problem with this, with these declines that are going on, I mean, I, I hold uh, BHP Billiton, for example, which is a, mm-hmm. a good mining company, you know, one of the biggest and best mining companies in the world. It mines just about every metal there is. It's down 10% today. Yeah. Well, um, two things 
are at work with with stocks like that. First, um, when you're running a, a portfolio and you, you start to get into trouble, uh, it, it's hard to sell your losers because they're not worth much anymore. So you sell your your good stocks, and uh, so so you see even the the powerhouse companies going way down in price in markets like this. And the, the other thing is that if, if the global economy slows down dramatically, that's, that's not a good thing for resources in general and, and metals in particular. So uh, we could see dramatic declines in, in uh, the, the, uh, the price of base metals, which have run up dramatically in the last few years. But if um, China and India and the U.S. all slow down, that's a lot less demand for, for things like copper and zinc and nickel. And their prices could be hurt, and that's uh, that's what's happening now in the, uh, the the resource stock markets. People are starting to think in those terms. You know, they're starting to say, "Well, uh, uh, deflationary crash is that what's going to happen? Well, we better sell the inflation stocks." So, uh, whether that continues or not is anybody's guess, but that's that's the dynamic that's at work right now. We're seeing in many ways, a kind of battle between inflationary forces and deflationary forces. The markets are in a deflationary mode. They want to go down. The banks are lending less money. But at the same time, money supply growth is uh, at unprecedented, unprecedentedly high levels in almost every major country throughout the globe. Which is going to win, the inflation or the deflation? Well, this is really the big question now because you, you, you nailed it perfectly there, Dominic, because right now there are two competing very massive forces at work in the financial markets. You've got the, the financial sector, which has, has taken on too much debt and is now imploding. That's really deflationary. When banks um, run into trouble and can't lend as much money and, and you know no one can borrow as much, so they can't buy things, so that makes the price of things they would have bought go down. On, on the other hand, you've got the world's central banks that aren't going to let this happen. And they, they basically see the, the world is now uh, run on fiat currency, which can basically be created in infinite quantities by governments with uh, printing presses or the, the electronic um, uh, versions of printing presses. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because we've never been here in, in history. Uh, at a place where the, the financial system was was imploding at the same time that governments are able to produce as much money as they want to, so um, my guess is that uh, that we go through stages here. That the early stage of this process is kind of like today, where we um, we worry about um, prices going down and, and mass bankruptcies, and that's very deflationary, and that the the, the global markets re- reflect the fears of deflation. And then when the governments really get going with the printing presses and they flood the system with paper currency, uh, our, our psychology will shift. We'll start to see the value of the dollar and the euro and the pound and, and eventually the yen start to go through the floor, and then we won't want to hold those currencies anymore. We'll want to buy things with them as soon as we, we get a hold of any money, and that's going to send prices back up. So we could have a, a deflation followed by a massive hyperinflation followed by a um, final crash. Uh, which which makes this a really interesting but really potentially ugly uh, few years ahead of us. One of the things that uh, one of the phrases that constantly gets bandied about is how that how under a fiat currency system governments can create money out of thin air, but they can't, can they? I mean, how how do they go about creating money apart from by issuing bonds? Well, they can just. Um, 
I mean, all money is now is an electronic um, note in a computer. You know, it's just a, it's a number that's been put there by the, the Federal Reserve or Treasury or whoever is uh, manipulating the currency on a given day. What they could do, let's, let's say you've got... Well, I mean, because, for example, you know this situation we have with Northern Rock here in the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've been following that. And the government announced uh, today a £25 billion bond. And where's that going to come from? They make it up out of thin air. For, for instance, let's, let's say the, Northern Rock... Everyone's complaining the, that the taxpayer is going to have to foot the bill. But are they? Eventually, eventually. But, uh, see, because the, the government can just designate more money in your bank account. They don't, they don't even have to print it physically. It's just uh, it's bits in a computer right now. So let's say Northern Rock has a bunch of CDOs, structured um, pieces of debt that are, are, they bought for 100 cents on the dollar, and uh, it's now worth 30 cents. And the, the government can come in and say, well, we'll buy you out at par. Now, now your account no longer has these, these CDOs. We'll take them, and you now have the full purchase price of the, in, in your account. So all of a sudden, the bank is recapitalized, and the government now owns these things. So, yeah, you're, you're right. In the long run, um, taxpayers have taken over these obligations and now own them. And that's down the road at some point going to come back to bite the governments of the world. But in the short run, they can recapitalize banks with the stroke of a pen or a you know, mouth click. And so the question is, will this process keep up with the process of wealth destruction as all of these, uh, these asset-backed bonds and the derivatives that are linked to them fall in price and destroy wealth in that way? And, and right now, there's, there's really no way to know because these, this is just a... a you know, a multi-trillion dollar process going on globally, and it's never happened before in human history, so we really don't know how it turns out, but um, governments can indeed just buy all this stuff if they want to and, uh, and you know, give, give banks and other investors full credit for the purchase price of, of these things and in that way create massive amounts of new money. It's, it's, it's both terrifying and... Uh of too great a magnitude almost to get my head around. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, these numbers are, are beyond the, the capacity of the human mind to, to grasp. I mean, what a trillion dollars, you know? We, we can say that word, but we have no idea what it means. And, and you look at the, the notional value of um, derivatives out there now. It's, it's 600 and some trillion dollars. That's, you know, multiples of the size of the, the entire global economy. So, yeah, we, we've reached the point where things are completely spinning out of control. And, again, it, we've never been here before, so we don't know how it's going to end for sure. I, I, I could, I'm, I'm 38 years old, John, and, and I can remember growing up and, you know, every now and then you'd hear that so and su- such and such a person was a millionaire. And, mm-hmm. and it was just, <laughs> just mean it would just dream. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the equivalent now is, a trillionaire, a billionaire, I, I, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it was so much money. But now anyone who's, who's got a half decent house in London is a millionaire. Oh, yeah, yeah. On paper. On paper. <laughs> and, and same thing in you know, California, Boston, Miami, here in the U.S. And uh, it, it, it did. It used to be that that, that was uh, an incredible amount of money. And now that's a middle class homeowner. But... Again, so much of what we think of as wealth today is actually just 
make-believe because you can't you can't cash out. I mean, or at least everybody in London could not cash out for their million-pound house at the same time because then prices would collapse. And so we, you know, we think we're rich when we look at our home equity or whatever, or a stock portfolio or whatever, but we're not really because it's just make-believe. It's just um, these, these are just numbers that have have been created by the process of governments printing printing too much money. And now that that wealth creation process is being reversed out as wealth is destroyed as, as um, two risky bonds and derivatives and things like that that are that are linked to them um, stop being as valuable as they used to be and go down in price. Do you um, we, we we mentioned real estate there. I mean, how much further has your real estate bust got to go? Oh, a long way. Um, <clears throat> right now. The, the problem with real estate in the U.S. in particular, but in the world in general, is that it, it is a bubble on top of a bubble. You know, real estate itself went up in value, even if everything else was fine and home prices had gone up as much as they've gone up in the U.S., um, they, they would still have to drop. I mean, if they drop just back to like um, 1995 levels, that's a, that's a 50% drop from here in a lot of markets and, and bigger than that in, in a lot of markets. And that would happen regardless, even if we were otherwise healthy. But we're not otherwise healthy because we've been borrowing immense amounts of money and, and um, taking on all these, these wild, exotic, structured finance um, kinds of instruments at the same time. So it, there's been a real estate bubble on top of a fiat currency bubble globally. And when when we get a, a, a series of bubbles bursting at the same time, then, then we're in uncharted territory again. So, I, I, you know, there's a quote from John Templeton, who's one of the um, one of the pioneers of um, global investing. And a couple of years ago, somebody asked him what, uh, what what he thought of real estate, and he said, "Well, when he's talking about U.S. real estate here, he said when when the um, when houses reach ninety or when they drop by ninety percent." of the top price paid, that might be a time to buy. And that, that sounds like crazy talk, but it, it may not be because we've got so much bad debt in the system that has to be liquidated and, and houses are the epicenter of, in, at least in the U.S., of, of this bad debt. Is, is, is that, Templeton, he's English, isn't he, Templeton? Yes. Yes, he is. Have you, do you, yeah. have you followed our real estate bubble, uh, well, uh, real estate market at all? Well, I'm aware of it, but you've got a good one going in London. <laughs> well, I mean, because I think the uh, the leverage in our real estate mm -hmm. is is greater than, than than what you have in the states. Mm -hmm. By that, I oh, mean the great. debt. Yeah, that that's believable because I mean, London is the the world's financial center now, which means money is flowing in from everywhere, which tends to push up real estate prices. Other things being equal, and. Um, it's British. not just London; it's the whole of the UK. I mean, London's yeah. the kind of the centre of it, but yeah, the whole of the UK mm -hmm. has this this real estate situation. Yeah. Well, British, um, you know, monetary policy is and, and fiscal policy is similar to that in the US. You know, we, we've both been taking on massive amounts of debt, and a lot of that has flowed into real estate, which has pushed up home prices, but uh, and, and commercial real estate prices too. You know, the the bubble extends in a lot of different directions. <laughs> and in the U.S., we're starting to see commercial real estate prices crack. And I assume you'll, you'll be seeing the same thing if you're not already. Well, we, our commercial real estate funds are in a lot of trouble. They've actually stopped people taking money out. 
Ah, okay. That's right. That that was a, a London-based fund, right? That just a, yeah, a, a not just the one. There. I think several have done it. Okay. But the yeah. um, the, the 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 argument that gets cited for UK real estate is the fact that we have much tighter building regulations than you do, and we have much less land than you do, and we're in Ireland, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the population is growing, um, and all these factors push prices up. So there are things that are different, but the basic situation is that we are we have too much debt in mm-hmm. our real estate system is is um is there um do i mean do you would you care i mean i just can't see real estate getting back to 1995 prices i just don't see that i, I mean i just see the currency being inflated away before that happens well yeah see now that that's a really interesting point that that needs to be made when you're talking about uh, something like real estate because um it's possible for real estate values to go into a depression, just fall dramatically in real terms. In, in other words, in terms of real money like gold or in terms of what that real estate could be translated into in, in other real things, and still um, be stable in paper currency terms. In other words, if the value of uh, the pound goes down by 50% and the real value of your office building goes down by 50%, the, the pound value of your, your office building stays the same. So it, it didn't actually drop when you're just thinking of it in terms of local currency, but, but it fell in real terms because the unit of measurement is changing over time, if that makes sense. And we could easily see that with real estate where um, we devalue the currency at the same time real estate prices are, are, are going down in real terms so that it seems like nothing's happening. You know, It seems like every, everything is the, the same way it was five years ago. But in reality, we've all gotten a lot poorer because our currency has gone down in value. Our real um, holdings of, of homes and office buildings have gone down in value. And it, it's just that, that it looks like it's stable. is just an illusion that's created by uh, manipulation of fiat currency. So, I mean, are you aware of the stories of in um, Weimar, Germany, in, in, in the kind of the height of the inflation prime houses in in Munich and in uh, Berlin changing hands for just a few ounces of gold. Are you aware of those? Oh, sure. Yeah. And um, that's what happens in hyperinflations. And, you know, this has happened. But you're not you're not going to get flats overlooking Central Park uh, exchanging hands for just a few ounces of gold, are you? Um, well, it depends on how you define a few. <laughs> <laughs> uh, far, far fewer than today. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So you'll you'll see gold go up in value in uh, in terms of the um, the currencies that are now being inflated away. So it, it'll it'll seem like gold is rising, but what's really happening is gold is just holding its own while paper currencies are going down in value, and you'll be able to buy more and more. It's interesting that the, the, the Dow the Dow to gold ratio is already down to about thirteen or fourteen, I think. Mm-hmm. But it, it was one to one in nineteen seventy nine, and uh, and also in in I think nineteen thirty two at the depths of the depression. But just for a few days. Right, but that's where it bottomed. Yeah, and uh, you know, for for more than a few days, it was very low. It was in the two and three range, mm-hmm. and so. You know, keeping in mind that this is a bigger financial bubble than anything that's ever come before, it's it's completely possible that we see um, 
more extreme moves in terms of gold versus the Dow and silver versus the Dow and things like that than we've seen in the past. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we got down to those ranges again where, where um, in, in dollar terms, gold and the Dow pass each other at 5,000 or something like that um, in the next few years. I'm basically a gold bug, John. And um, one of the things that is galling us is that, you know, a lot of us have done a lot of research into junior mining companies and found what we think are, are little diamonds. And, uh, you know, we're, we've seen, uh, you know, in, in, in sterling, gold was up over 40% last year. So we've seen this huge rise in gold. And a lot of our junior mining companies are underwater. And they're behaving as though they're, they're Northern Rock or Citibank or something. Uh, do you what, what what do you think about that? Yeah, that that's one been one of the surprising parts of this market because you would expect in a in a time when gold is setting new records that um, the euphoria would spread, especially to the little companies, and people would be looking around and just you know paying anything for these little because they're, they're they're like the dot coms of this market. Mm -hmm. um, and that definitely hasn't happened yet. Like you said, in fact, they've, they've actually gone down instead of soaring while the, uh, the big solid gold miners and silver miners have gone way up. And I, I, I think the reason for that is that we're just at an early stage of this bull market. Uh, what, what happens early on is when something is unfamiliar to most people and it goes up, um, everyone piles into the familiar names because that's, that's, you know, to the extent that they know anything about the gold market, they know about Barrick and, and Newmont and Gold Corp and companies like that. And, uh, and, and money managers are the same way. They, they want to hold the familiar names that are, that are liquid enough to, to put a lot of money to work right away. So those names tend to move first. Then later, you get these massive disparities in value um, of the gold in the ground, say the, uh, the dollar value of um, per share of a, a junior miner's gold in the ground versus Newmont's or, or uh, Barrick's. And, you know, the, the numbers are just hugely different. And you, you realize you can get a lot more gold in the ground by buying one of these little guys. And, and then people start doing that. And, and that just snowballs as more and more money flows into the, the little guys and, and they start just taking off. Or you get the, uh, the big companies that aren't replacing their reserves looking around desperately to, to find a way to replace their reserves and realizing that they can buy these little guys out at a lot less, um, you know, a lot less than it costs them to actually go out and find new resources and go through all the environmental hoops and everything to, to get that gold out of the ground. And, and so they start buying them up at huge multiples of previous prices. One way or another, these things start happening, I think. If, if gold stays where it is and the, the price of the, the big miners um, stays, where, stays where they are. And so probably the, the fall in the price of the junior miners of the, the last couple of years is just an incredible buying opportunity. You know, this is, this is our chance to load up on stocks that will go up in the aggregate five or ten times. You know, but, but your listeners, um, and I'm sure you do a good job of explaining this, they, they should all understand that uh, these things are kind of like lottery tickets. That most junior miners just, fail for whatever reason and you don't want to buy just a couple this is a this is a kind of market where you really need to diversify so if you can't buy 10 10 of them you should be very careful about buying any and uh, you should be looking at mutual funds that that maybe do some of this for you 
So I, I understand, uh, John, you, you have your own, uh, as well as being a journalist and a writer, you have your, your own, I think you were a, a trader on Wall Street at one stage, and you have your own portfolio of stocks. What, mm -hmm. What's your current uh, position? Well, I'm about equally divided between long precious metals positions, and that, the, that is um, mostly in, in shares of, of pretty good quality miners, mm -hmm. and leaps puts on financed companies and, and uh, industrial companies in the U.S. And that is uh, that, that's uh, basically a long-term bet that they will go down in price. And so I'm, I'm short banks and technology and, <laughs> and the brokers and you know you name it that's not uh, a resource stock and I'm short it now. Well, yeah, so you're you're doing your you've got a big grin on your face then. Oh yeah, but the last couple of weeks have been uh, you know a lot of fun, but kind of um, sleep deprived too. <laughs> so I'm on West Coast time, which means the markets open very early for me here, so I got to get up early to see what's happening. Okay, um, do you find when you're watching them too much, you end up over trading? Uh, not over trading, but wasting a lot of time, because it's it's really easy to to check back in every three minutes when things are moving this this quickly, and and to see a, a you know result that uh, like a rat in one of those experiments when I'm always pressing the food bar mm -hmm. because when when um, when markets are this volatile, you get you get a real um, you get a thrill from checking and seeing it's moved another five percent or whatever, and and uh, that that can waste an immense amount of time. And so one of the things that you really have to learn to be able to, to, to have money at risk and, and to be around a computer at the same time is to have the discipline not to just obsess and just watch these things all day long or else you won't get anything else done. Well, I, th I, I mean, the Internet that. is the biggest uh, enemy of the writer, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's the best friend of the writer in one sense because it's, uh, it, it makes research so much easier than, yeah. than it used to be. But on the other hand, yeah, it can let you waste immense amounts of time. You know, you can you can spend hours doing things that don't directly contribute to your career. Is um do, now, I mean, this time last year, we were in a runaway bull market for stocks, and a lot of uh, people, a lot of bears, were saying this is ridiculous. This has to go down, and yet it all it does is go up. Where 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 were you at this time last year? You mean what was I saying? Or yeah, well, no, I, I mean, uh, no, I'll tell you what, John, I'm, I'm going to, um, let me rephrase that question. I'll, I'll edit that bit. Sure. Um, this time last year, there were a lot of bears about, and uh, I mean, I was one of them, and I was kind of saying, well, stocks, they're going up, and it's madness, it doesn't make sense. Uh, th these things should be in, in decline, there's the debt, there's, uh, you know, all these various bearish factors. Why do you think suddenly now it's it's all unraveling and when it was it just it seemed relentlessly up last year? Well, it's it's happening now because it eventually had to happen. So now now is the time that it's happening. But uh, basically, the way credit expansions work is that um, it, it makes it very easy for anybody to get funded for anything. So everybody looks like a genius. The, the Warren Buffett has a, a saying that you. you you don't find out who's swimming naked until the, the tide goes out. Mm -hmm. And in, in a, a credit expansion, um, eventually something happens to dry up the, uh, the supply of lendable funds. And then you find out who has a viable business 
plan and and uh, whose house is really worth what it it should be worth you know and 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 what we're finding out now is that uh, at long last a lot of people were swimming naked you know there are, there are just a lot of businesses that aren't viable mm-hmm. most most of the US financial sector now is in in that category and a lot of assets that weren't worth anything like what uh, they they were originally sold at and so you know, as for the timing, it, it it was inevitably going to happen, and and what's happened lately to to make it happen is that uh, a lot of these structured financial products that were sold in the last few years were were just ridiculous ideas, and a lot of the the mortgage lending that happened at the um, the peak of the credit bubble just never should have happened in the first place, and and. Um, so now people are defaulting on their loans, and that's that's reverberating through the system because uh, the bonds that were those loans were turned into are no longer worth what they uh, uh, they, they what the uh, sellers said they were worth, and and now the insurance that has been written against these bonds is, has is coming due, and the the insurance companies like NBIA and AMBAC can't even come close to to paying off all the. Uh, the claims that they're going to see, and they're going bankrupt. And you know, so now now we've got kind of a, a falling dominoes, where trouble in one little tiny sector of the financial market leads to trouble in others, which leads to trouble in others, and and uh, so the whole thing might fall apart here. Your next book is called Green Stock Investing. I think it's due to be published, if I'm right in saying, towards the end of, of, of 2008, even though it's already written. Um, you've got a, have you got an accompanying website to go with it? Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, greenstockinvesting.com. Do, do you want, it, uh, well, I was going to say, do you want to tell us a bit about the book and the website? Sure. Uh, the, the, um, the website isn't officially launching yet. It's, it's out there, but I'm not updating it as much as I will once, uh, once I really get going. But the, um, the book, and oh, and by the way, the, the book is, a, that's the working title of the book. I, we may come up with a different one at some point before the, the book is um, officially launched itself. But uh, Green Stock Investing gets the idea across. It's mm-hmm. basically a book on um, clean technology. In other words, all the... Um, somewhat radical new technologies that are coming along um, that promise to eliminate pollution and generate clean energy and uh, and basically um, put us on a sustainable path to uh, to growth in the future and that is solar energy and wind power and geothermal and fuel cells and there, there's a, a bunch of these things that uh, have been around for a long time but um, weren't workable say, 10 or 20 years ago. But uh, in the meantime, people have been doing research on them and they've been getting better and better. And now now they're ready for prime time, a lot of these things. And you see that as the next great bull market, do you? Oh, my, oh yes. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, of course, we, we have to get through the, the crack in the market now, which is making these stocks go down as well. So with any luck, by the time the book comes out, we'll have gotten most of the, the real bear market out of the way and these things will be very cheap and, and very interesting but you know the, the growth potential of something like solar energy to take just just one example is is astounding now because we've reached the point where um, new generation solar panels can can go on the roof of a house in a sunny place and actually generate enough electricity to more than pay for themselves in just a few years. So it's it's not just a social statement anymore to put solar panels on your house. It's actually something that makes you money. So the whole world is going to do this. So demand for solar panels will be astounding going forward. Just you know, they'll 
the best makers of solar panels will sell everything they can make for the next 20 years. And so their stocks are going to be extraordinary investments because you'll be able to extra extrapolate very fast growth to the horizon. And that's the kind of thing that the financial markets love. So, But ha having said that, um, really um, fast-growing, exciting markets are the most dangerous possible kinds of markets because that opens the door to, to everybody coming in with any kind of half-baked idea. You, you know, you get something like the, the 1990s again with tech stocks in these things because um, there are a million great stories out there and they, they all sound fantastic while there is capital available for these companies to, uh, to expand. But at the same time, a lot of these things are competitors. You know, if, if one succeeds, the other doesn't. And so um, to invest successfully in, in a market like this, you've really got to do homework, and you, you've got to be able to separate the, uh, the ideas that are workable <clears throat> from the ones that, are, that sound great but are you know, crazy. And that, that's what the book is going to be about. It'll, you know, I'll, I'll go through each of these technologies and show why they're great, but that's nothing unique about that because there are, there are websites all over the, the world talking about all the great things happening in, um, in green tech. But what I'll try to do in the second half of the book is lay out some strategies and some, some analytical frameworks for, um, for being able to, uh, to take a given sector and, and figure out who's got the best ideas and who might survive and then to compare different sectors together and, and, and how to construct a portfolio of these things that, that won't end up with two stocks going up 1,000% and seven of them going bankrupt and you not making any money at all in the, in the aggregate, you know. So uh, it's, it's a fascinating research project. Yeah, well, um, I've got two things to, to, to add to that. I mean, I own stock in a company. I won't say the name. Um, and it's a it's a bit of a dog, um, <laughs> but it, it, it's it's got a widget basically that you you stick in a diesel engine and uh, it allows the diesel engine to run on natural gas and it's much cleaner than diesel and it's much cheaper than diesel and it you know if if he he's the, the guy in charge is trying to sell it to trucking fleets uh, around the globe particularly in Australia and uh, America where you know you truck over greater distances than you do here in the uk and mm -hmm. if you put this widget in your car you will cut your fuel bills by you know tens of percents i think it's 40 percent you cut your fuel bill so as well as being green it's actually economic and yet <laughs> the stock is underperforming so um you know i suppose as, as more people if, if he can persuade more people to to, to to put this um, device in their diesel engines of their trucking fleets, then it, then it'll be a winner. But um, you know, it has the potential to become a widget that appears in every diesel engine in the world. But until that time, you know, yeah. it'll remain a dog. The That's other a thing, perfect I, example. Oh, okay, go ahead, yeah. Well, the the other thing I was going to say, John, is that um, uh, there's a chap called Michael Hampton who uh, uh, appears on this show very regularly, and uh, he also writes. Um, articles, a couple of which you've published on your site. He wrote a, wrote a recent one about uh, the decline of the American suburbs. And um, he, he hosts a website called, it was originally called Green Energy Investors, and it was it's a bulletin board basically where people can go on and discuss their stocks. But the idea was the focus would be on green energy. But uh, I think he fairly rapidly changed the name to Global Edge Investors um, because we're just not quite there yet with green energy. It, um, it, it's 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 still a year or two away. 
Um, yeah, well, the, the solar stocks in, in the green energy sector have just been rocking lately. And that they have arrived. But yeah, a lot of this other stuff is like, you know, you're, you're, Company with the uh, the widget for the diesel engine is a perfect example of this. There are a million great stories out there, and how do we tell which ones are which? And that's that's the challenge that faces um, somebody like Michael Hampton running running a website like that, where you know he does, he, I'm sure he doesn't want to just throw out all these ideas randomly. He wants to come up with some way of uh, of prioritizing. And right now it's tough because it's a, it, it's a very, very new market. These technologies in a lot of cases are untested, but they sound great. And so it'll mature over time. But in the meantime, this is kind of the Wild West right now. You have all this stuff being thrown out and getting funded. <laughs> so it's going to be fun. John, your other book, which I have read, The Coming Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It, uh, written by you and James Turk. James has been on this show many times. It was one of the first books I read about gold, and it opened my eyes, and it's an absolutely terrific book. And uh, I congratulate you on having written it. It's about to be released in paperback. Yeah, well, thanks, Dominic. Uh, yeah, at the end of this month, um, uh, the paperback version will come out, and uh, the timing seems pretty good. <laughs> um, James and I spent the last month going through it, and... and um, updating a lot of the uh, the dates and, and company names when they, they changed and things like that. But uh, the, the ideas are basically the same because the, the world really hasn't changed all that much in the last three years. The only thing that's happened is that the numbers are a bit bigger when you look at gold and the up and the value of the dollar down and things like that. But the dynamic is exactly the same philosophically and, and technically, you know, the uh, – the, the governments of the world are spending too much money. People are borrowing too much money in the private sector. And, and to cover this debt, we're printing incredible amounts of uh, paper currency. So the, um, the process that, uh, that we described in the hardcover is the same as the, the process that the paperback version describes. And uh, so the, uh, the advice that the book gives, I think, is, is still valid. You know, you, you definitely want to avoid depending on um, paper currency income streams and, and shift into hard assets here's an outside bet for you john it, within the next 15 or 20 years james turk will have ben bernanke's job yeah you know what i <laughs> i've been kidding him about that I mean, I, I've, I've been saying he'd be the treasury secretary okay the, close enough yeah he and you know what the world would be a better place if james was in charge <laughs> at least of the u.s government I, i've so, never met such a student of banking oh yeah yeah i mean he just uh, um he lived this stuff yeah and so it was it was a lot of fun writing a book with him because um you know i, I would whip up a chapter that was the, the journalistic version of the chapter mm -hmm. okay you know kind of facile and you know smooth and everything and and uh and i would hit the high points as i saw them and james james would sit down with it and go all right um now here back in 1752 we need to include this because uh, you know george washington said you know and he, he will go into this really detailed um historical theoretical discussion of of, uh, of something that just completely illuminates the idea perfectly and with with real world examples and, and uh, so 
um, you know, uh, a lot of the really deep thoughts of the book, I have to admit, are his. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying to him, I've read some of the work he's done on uh, on the manipulation of gold and uh, all the shenanigans that were going on behind the scenes during the Lyndon Johnson era and uh, mm-hmm. and ever since. It it to me the story is screaming out to be to be written as a thriller. <laughs> You're right; that would work. <laughs> but yeah. it w- the, you know, the, the destruction of the the whole concept of paper currency is going. That's going to be you know entire massive history books will be written on the the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're living through one of the uh, the most fascinating periods of, of human history, and, and maybe one of the most tumultuous too. Unfortunately, you know, it's a you and I are kind of enjoying the process because we, um, we, we feel like we understand it and uh, know how to profit from it. But for the vast majority of people, the, the next 20 years are just going to be a nightmare, I'm afraid, because they, they don't see it coming and they, uh, they won't know how to cope with the, the changes when, you know, when everybody's being laid, out of, laid off work and, and uh, their, their nest eggs are melting away. So it's going to be a hard time. Do you really see a depression coming? Eventually, sure. I, I, I don't. I don't see how we get beyond, you know, six hundred trillion dollars of derivatives and and um, six hundred thousand dollars of total debt per family of four in the U.S. without some kind of major disruption. And, and because we're in a fiat currency world and we've never been there before, it's, it's impossible to say how all this turns out. But it. it it's almost guaranteed to be very bad. And so um, our choices have come down now to the, um, the, the basically the, the means of the, uh, and, and, and the outline of the, the disaster, but it'll be a disaster. We just have to choose which kind. That's all we have left now. Do we just infla- try to inflate our way out and have a hyperinflation or do we just collapse under all this debt and have a, a depression? And, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Which, which we choose. We seem to be choosing the the inflation route, and and we'll see if it's um, if it's even possible to inflate away this much debt. But for the average person, um, the difference between a hyperinflation and a, a 1930s style depression is probably uh, surface. You know, it's going to be hard times regardless, and it'll just be the form of the hard times that we have to uh, that we decide from here on out. And what does the average person do? Buy gold and get out of debt? Basically, yeah. You, you, if your job is in danger, which most jobs will be in this kind of turmoil, then you don't want to owe any money. So, yeah, pay off your debts. Um, live small and save as much money as possible in anticipation and invest in things that, that will tend to survive what's coming. So, you know, if you own stock in Citigroup... <laughs> Or, or Merrill Lynch, you probably want to swap that into um, Gold Corp or Agnico Eagle or, or something like that. And, and in that way, some part of your, your, your savings will survive. And if you don't owe much money, then maybe you're okay at the end of it all. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of people won't do that. They'll, you know, they'll keep on borrowing against their houses, keep on maxing out their credit cards, and, and they'll be bankrupted by losing a job for six months or whatever. And so that's unfortunately probably the fate of a lot of people going forward. You see a lot of layoffs coming. Um, inevitably, yeah, because 
in the U, and I'm speaking strictly in the U.S. here, but it's probably true for the rest of the world. I mean, well, when you sneeze, we get a cold. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's it's completely possible that we pull down the whole decoupling idea is probably false. When 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 we tank here, we'll pull down the rest of the world to some extent. And certainly, Western Europe, I would have thought. Yeah, and Asia. I mean, because there are. are we buy so much from China and Japan now that uh, their export industries are at, at huge risk if we stop spending as much money as we have been. But if, if, if you're inflating away your dollar and I'm in debt, or if it was inflating away our pound, whichever it is, and I'm in debt, surely the value of my debt's being inflated away. Yeah, and no, I see that, that that's absolutely right. And it's something that I'm really hesitant to talk about because, you know, by, by talking about borrowing money and having the, that money be, that debt be inflated away, it might lead people to do that. And that's something I wouldn't want to advise anyone to do because when, when you borrow a lot of money with the, um, the intention of not having to pay so much of it back because the dollars will be worth less or the pound will be worth less, you, you take the risk that something happens to you in the meantime which keeps you from being able to cover your interest payments while all this is playing out, and then you're bankrupted, then you lose everything. And mm -hmm. so that's a, yes, borrowing money, you know, if you borrowed a bunch of money and bought gold with it, you, you'd probably be much better off five years from now than if you didn't do anything, but only if you can keep on making those loan payments. And, yeah. and so I wouldn't want to be responsible for people borrowing money and then being bankrupted by it. Uh, as, you know, as, as part of their investment program. So, mm. yeah, <laughs> you know, yes and no. It, it, people who owe a lot of money tend to benefit from inflations, but uh, um, the risk is unacceptable. Now, I mean, you're a clever guy, John, and you're a realistic guy. There are a lot of gold bugs, bugs out there who are, you know, because gold is a kind of contrarian thing, it does attract a lot of cranks and crackpots, if you like. Yeah. Do you really see some kind of return to some sort of gold standard? Do you see that as a real possibility? Well, let, let's take a, a couple of steps back and talk about what money is, first of all. Because every, a functioning society needs something to act as money. In other words, something where you and I both agree what on, on its value so we can exchange goods and services without having to actually exchange the goods and services. You know? mm -hmm. So you don't have to go to the grocery store and barter or with whatever you have for the peas that you're going to buy and the, and the lamb chops or whatever. You, you need something to, to act uh, as the uh, communications medium that allows you to just go and, and get what you need and exchange value for it. So we need something as money. Now, it turns out that paper currency is is fatally flawed because it puts the uh, the supply of it in the hands of governments who can never be trusted in the long run. You know, no no government of any kind can be trusted not to spend money when it's allowed to spend infinite amounts of money. So, paper currency is out. Yet we still need something to be um, to be money. And historically, for the last three thousand years, gold has functioned reasonably well as humanity's money because it, it's got certain advantages that make it work. We don't use it for much else, so it's not an industrial commodity. It, it's 
fairly rare, and the, the supply of it grows by only about 2% a year, which is what, what else we can get out of mines, you know, what, what new gold we can mine. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if we have to choose something as money, and we can't use paper that, uh, that isn't connected to anything, then, then you know, it's possible gold is the thing we'll fall back on, even though it has some flaws. But um, I, I think that some kind of um, currency that is backed um, realistically and legitimately by gold or some other commodity, but probably gold, is what we're going to end up with. And it might be a, a digital gold currency like uh, like James Church's gold money, where we we keep the gold in a vault so it doesn't physically circulate, but we digitize it. We uh, we use the gold that we own in a given vault as uh, as our mm-hmm. checking account, and the gold is just credited from one person to another. Maybe we can do something like that now that technology is is to the point where uh, it, it you know the internet permits something like that. But yeah, we. Can, I think it's possible that gold plays a role in the future monetary system beyond what it plays now. John Rubino, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I recommend everyone not only to, to, to read John's book, but also to go to dollarcollapse.com, which is an excellent resource um, for articles about the uh, economy in general. And I think you're, you, you filter them, don't you, John? You only kind of put the best on the, on the hit list. Oh, yeah, because otherwise we'd be overwhelmed. There's so much stuff out there now. So I, I, I try to pick the most useful pieces of news to put up each day. All right. Well, John, give out that website address one more time. It's www.dollarcollapse.com. All right. And, John, it, it's been a pleasure, and, and do come on the show again soon. Great. I'd like that. Thanks, Dominic. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.